you know, when you're, when your name is called, you can't, you can't wallow and be nervous. I just had to talk to all the people around me get the right advice and just play my hardest. And it ended up really working out. Hello, and welcome to the Well You Mental Training Podcast. My name is Brian Alexander, and I'll be your host today. Today, we're blessed to have Ron A. Smith with us on the show to share his athletic story. Ron is a former collegiate Division I football athlete, having competed at San Diego State University. He was also an incredible student, earning many scholar awards and completing his Bachelor of Arts degree in psychology and his Master's of Arts degree in education with a concentration in counseling. He did all this while also competing on the team, which is amazing. During his time at SDSU, he also served on the Student Athlete Advisory Committee as a representative and as an active advocate for multicultural competencies in sport. He was born and raised in Oakland, California, and as he has transitioned out of sport, he is exploring life after and his new career in education as a PE teacher and athletic director for an elementary school in San Diego has helped him with all that. Hi, Ron. Welcome to the show. Hey, Brian. Thank you for having me. So it seems like you're very, very driven. You've had an amazing career at San Diego State. I'm sure there's full, lots of ups and downs yeah, there. Yes, a lot. But maybe we could just go back and learn a little bit about the backstory of your narrative and what was life like for you growing up and how did your interest in football grow? So I grew up in Oakland, like you mentioned, where all of my friends played sports. I started soccer at four, basketball at five, baseball at six, and then flag football at seven years old. Um, So my dad played football for the University of Pacific. So he had a lot of influence in my football interest and that happened whether I was watching NFL on Sundays or listening to the Dan Patrick show during my morning drive to my grand's house before school. And my interest grew as I got older because I played many sports. But once I got to high school, I stopped playing basketball and I stopped playing baseball. And I picked up track because my football coach told me to. And in high school, I used to carry a football around during school every day and train on the weekends with a couple of my good friends like Eric Phillip, Nelson White, Roman Grace, Ben Schreider. And I've also been very blessed and fortunate for the teams that I've been on, like the San Leandro Crusaders and my high school team at St. Mary's College High School. Um, I think that family unit that we had in all of those different programs, especially my high school program, drove me to want to continue football and play at the highest level. It sounds like you had a large background in competing in other sports and just growing up. And it sounds like your dad was also a competitive collegiate football Mm -hmm. athlete, too. What was that like growing up in a house with your dad being so involved in in the same sport that you eventually chose Mm and his influence? So it was a huge influence just because depending on what sport I was in during the year, we were training on the weekends pretty much every weekend. So we would go to the park and um, there's one story about when I was learning how to catch a baseball, I couldn't leave the park until I caught 10 baseballs in a row. So this is the first time that I ever was catching a baseball. So I, it's been a lot of time getting hit in the face. I was there for maybe an hour and a half (laughs) and it was an experience that really helped me learn what it takes to, learn how to do something new and push myself 
because yes, my dad said I couldn't leave, but at the same time I said I couldn't leave. So I ended up catching maybe 13 balls before I left. And then I got hit in the face one more time and then we drove off. My dad was proud of me, but I had a lot of time with him, like either in the house or training on the weekends or training after my practices just to learn more about the sport and work harder so that I can see all of my successes in the future from a young age. I wanted to start that from a young age so that I knew that the path I was going down was a good one. What was interesting in the story you just shared about the uh, catching the Mm -hmm. baseballs was you said, yeah, he wanted you to do it, but you also Uh wanted to complete the goal of catching 10 baseballs. And then you actually caught 13 in order to leave, Right. right? How is that kind of motivation and that drive or that internal dialogue shaped your experience in sport going forward? Yeah, so I think I've kept that story in my head so vividly for my entire life because at the time I was six years old, but I still remember it so vividly today because I think that tells a lot about my drive and persistence to want to do great things from a young age. Because again, this is my first time ever catching a baseball with a baseball glove. And coming from a six-year-old and I work now with six-year-olds. So being able to see that drive from a really young age, that can really set you up really well for the future. So I think holding on to that throughout my entire life, saying that I don't want to go for the bare minimum and I want to go above and beyond to reach my goals. And it started from a young age and I can always bring back to that story to remember how it was from that age. What an impactful time. Yeah. I mean, what you just shared sounds so well connected to your story and what you've actually accomplished throughout your athletic career, mm-hmm. right? So now thinking about how you transitioned, I mean, we're talking about baseball, mm-hmm. right? But you transitioned to focusing on right. football and you mentioned you were involved in track and field right. as well. So with each sport, we, we know that it brings about its own culture and even, you know, its own stereotypes mm-hmm. about, you know, what does a football player look like? How do they act? Mm-hmm. And, and all these other kind of, tangents people can go on in terms of understanding and explaining different athletes. Can you talk about your cultural experiences as a football player and any stigmas or stereotypes that you may have encountered that helped shape you into what you are today? Yeah, so one of the main stereotypes that I heard from a young age, I don't exactly remember where I heard it from, but a stereotype about football players and a lot of the times athletes in general is that they are 100% and entirely about their sport and aren't the smartest and don't focus on their academics. I think from a young age, I had heard that stereotype and I was always one to want to push against it. So I think hearing that stereotype from a young age pushed me to be better academically because instead of trying to go along with that stereotype saying, yes, all athletes aren't the smartest, I was going to compete against that and have a chip on my shoulder and say, you know what, I'm going to be the smartest person in the room. So that pushed me to want to get the 4.0s, want to get the high GPAs, all the scholarly awards. And that's held through my entire career from high school on pretty much. I heard it in middle school, but my middle school years, I think I started to get it right, maybe seventh grade. But (laughs) my sixth grade years were a little rough. But Moving on from there. We all go through those years, right? We all go through those. So I think moving on after that, it was always a chip on my shoulder to say, you know what? I 
I don't want to be that stereotype. And I know that that stereotype is not warranted and it's coming from a place from people who have no idea what athletes really go through. So I think I always held that with me to show, you know what, that's not the case. And I can prove to you that that's not the case, that uh, all athletes aren't smart. That's really interesting, that idea of having this chip on your shoulder and working to prove all these naysayers mm-hmm. wrong in terms of your actions and behaviors and your drive and your work that you put into academics. Mm-hmm. And and you were born and raised in Oakland, right. California, right. right? What was life like growing up for you coming uh, up and, and figuring out how to how to be that version of yourself? It, it's hard because in Oakland, there's a lot of ways that you can go down the wrong path pretty easily. Um, Oakland is a place where it has a great culture, but at the same time, people get trapped in the negative aspects of the culture and get stuck there. And I think from a young age, I always heard that, you know, you want to get out of Oakland and do better things so that you can come back and support the community. And I think that's a narrative that is held strong to a lot of athletes that have come out of Oakland. So being around some of the people I was around, I, I was fortunate enough to grow up around a lot of quality people. So there are people that I know that didn't go down the right path per se, but in my group at the exact age that I am in, I happen to have the right circle of friends throughout my entire life. And I still talk to a lot of my friends. I talked to my friends from elementary school. I talked to a couple of my friends from middle school, from high school, because I really built a foundation of friendship and people supporting me from a young age. So I think that's really impactful for my growth in sport and just as a person. Definitely. That social support aspect Mm -hmm. and connection with other people can really give you a sense of belonging and an understanding of how, how do you actually operate? And then the, based on those influences, how do you reach a level that you're aspiring to and figure out the path? Mm -hmm figure out the way for sure what was the college recruiting process like for you so i began getting recruited after my junior season of football and it was a fun process i took a lot of unofficial visits Um, i took a college tour around pretty much the entire midwest and i met a lot of coaches and got a good amount of offers Uh, washington state and utah were my top choices because they're pac-12 Um, And that was, I guess, my vision of college football. I wanted to make it to the highest level I could possible. And I ended up losing both of those offers because I guess I took too long to commit. And the coaches didn't even return my calls. It was a really bad process where I had those, those offers. I was trying to set up for my official visits. And they were like, sorry, your offer does not stand anymore. And I didn't really hear anything else from them after that. And San Diego State came along, I think, the summer going into my senior season. And I didn't know too much about San Diego State before they offered me, to be honest, because I still had this idea of the USC's, the Stanford's, um, the Cal Berkeley's. And after they recruited me and there, I had some offers here and there. The only offers that I received that I could see myself being at were Fresno State or San Diego State. And the only official visit I actually took was to San Diego State. And I really enjoyed my time there. And I love the culture. 
that the school was giving off to me and they were real. And I really appreciated that because they didn't sugarcoat anything. And it aligned a lot with my principles and I thought that I could be successful there. So um, I ended up committing there. And after that, the rest is history. Um, quick story about how my senior year, I was at a decision-making process of if I wanted to go to college for track or football. Um, because my senior year of track, I did a really had a really good year jumping, and I ended up winning CIF state for track. And a lot of my coaches for track were saying, "You might be better at track than you are in football." So it started to get in my head of, okay, well maybe I'm already committed to San Diego State, but if I'm better at track, maybe I could get a bigger offer in track. But I ended up saying, you know what? Look, I already committed for football, and I want to you know, stay loyal to that process. And I've already had my mind set on going to San Diego State football. So after my last track season, after that CIF championship, I said goodbye to track and I started preparing for football for San Diego State. That's amazing. And I, I hear this story a lot from other athletes, that pressure, first of all, to pick a school in a timely manner. Uh-huh. And for multi-sport athletes, figure out which sport fits right. you which program fits your principles like you Mm -hmm. shared. And then as a 17, 18 year old Mm -hmm. young man, how do you make that, that decision under all that? It is not easy. I'm telling you, it was, it was a very difficult process in towards the end. I think the beginning was fun just because of the glamor of getting all of the notes and the letters and the coaching calls and people are telling you, Oh, we can see good things from you. That's the fun part. But then when you have to start getting to the decision-making process, these are this is a decision that is going to dictate pretty much the rest of your life. It's not just, okay, I'm going to go to the school. And no, like where you go to college can really determine a lot of things moving forward in your life, where you're going to be located, uh, the people you meet, the connections you make. Um, if I didn't go to San Diego State, I wouldn't have met you. So I think there's a lot of really key ingredients about making a big decision like that. And it was difficult, but it all ended up working out the best in the best way possible. So I'm, I'm I'm grateful for it. One of the things that you mentioned again was principles and values. And what I think about that, I I think about a great amount of Mm self-awareness and understanding how to go through those pressure moments and how to work through different expectations. Mm -hmm. And, if I'm not mistaken, I think when you arrived at San Diego State, they had a pretty solid football yeah, team. Yeah, they were already pretty good. I think right when I got there, the year prior, they weren't too happy with their performance. But when I got there, they didn't have – I didn't feel the expectations for me because I knew that I was going to redshirt when I got there. So I knew that I, – I didn't feel too much pressure. But the team – uh, there was a lot of really good athletes on that team when I first got there, and they ended up winning the championship that year. So I still felt like I was kind of in the back, and I didn't start to feel that yeah. pressure until my redshirt freshman year where I went from third string to first string in a matter of two weeks. Yeah, oh. so I was I was starting on all special teams, and at corner, um, some team stuff happened, and – Next thing you know, I am starting my first game and I'm on a really good team that had just won a championship and is projected to win another championship. 
So I'm, I have all the pressure surrounding me of, if you mess this up for this group, it is all on you, entirely on you. And that was a difficult process, but it was a lot of fun. And I didn't make too many mistakes and we ended up winning another championship. So again, things just happened to work out. That's amazing. And there was a lot of NFL prospects uh-huh. on those teams and just the, the moving from third string to first string in a matter of yeah. two weeks, that must have been a, a really quick uh-huh. rise. No, it was ridiculous because in my head, I was like, okay, this is going to be a year where I'm going to be on all special teams. I'll make my name using special teams. And next year will be my year to start to actually play on the defense. Because I think the people ahead of me were all juniors. So they were going to be into their senior years the following year. So I already thought in my head, okay, look, I have a lot of time before I'm actually going to get a chance to play on the defense. And then next thing you know, it's like, hey, Ron, you're, you're starting. I'm like, whoa. I, I was still waiting for another year before that. But, you know, when, you're, when your name is called, you can't, you can't wallow and be nervous. I just had to talk to all the people around me, get the right advice, and just play my hardest. And it ended up really working out. I was going to ask you, how did you make that mental transition Uh, from third string to first string? But it sounds like you leaned on a lot of people for support, mm -hmm. and you just decided, I'm going to let my work speak for Mm -hmm. itself. For sure. I I just had to take a step back and say, look, there is no asking why anymore because I'm in this position. So – it's it's too late to say, well, coach, uh, I don't know. Like, no, when your name is called, you're up. And you have to do anything you can to make sure that the team is successful. And just coming into that position, I, I knew I had a lot of pressure on me. But all of that pressure was pretty much relieved after my first game starting. Because we went against Hawaii. And it was 2016, we went against Hawaii. And uh, we were we were better than that team. And, like, our team, again, was just really good that year. And I ended up getting a pick six in my first game starting. And so all awesome. of that pressure kind of just went away. And I felt like, you know what, I, I can do this. I can play with them. And from that moment on, I felt a little bit more comfortable being out there because once you get your feet wet a little bit, like in a lot of sports, like once you hit your first shot, once you get your first hit, then the butterflies start to go away. So that was my experience with it too. Well, that pick six sounds like a great moment in your uh, college football career. Mm-hmm. Are there any other great moments that stand out, or is that uh, it? That, that was a big one. Um, I think that because it was my first, it means a lot, but I have a couple that really meant a lot to me. Like There was that one. There was, I had an interception against Stanford, which was huge for me because I just had a bad history with Stanford in the recruiting process. Like they're my first ever letter that I received. And that might've just been from, you know, family ties, but you know, I I went to their camp and the head coach kind of just dismissed me entirely. So I just had a, I had a thing out for Stanford when we played them. I got a pick in that game. So that made me feel really good. Uh, Winning a championship in high school was really a good experience. But I think the one that stands over the top is, um, I got a pick six against Houston that 2016 year. And it was a huge game. It was a Las Vegas Bowl after we had w- just won the championship. And they were a really good team with all Americans all around the place. And I ended up, I jumped a screen and took it back to the house for a pick six to extend the lead. 
and just hearing the roar from the crowd and all of the support, like two of my teammates jumped on me after the play. And in that same game, Donnell Pumphrey broke the NCAA rushing record. And it was just a really memorable, memorable experience. And, you know, that was what set the stage for me at San Diego State. What an experience. Yeah. As you described it, too, it sounds like it was almost like it was yesterday, mm-hmm. the vividness of it. and Yeah. The memory sure. of it. It was, it was definitely life-changing. What about on the other side of that? The most challenging moment while playing football, and what did those moments teach you about yourself? Yeah, so the most challenging moment that I had came the next year, and uh, it was my sophomore year, and we went against Northern Illinois, and nothing went right for me that day. So I gave up big play after big play, Gave up a touchdown here and there, and no one could sub in for me because my backup was hurt. So I was in the entire game, and then hearing from the offense, like literally pointing to me, saying, "Okay, yeah, that's going to be the guy we're going after." And I couldn't do anything about it because in my head, I just I lost all my confidence, and I was scrambling to figure out what I was doing wrong, which made me play even worse. And after the game there were articles written about how bad I played. I was getting Twitter messages about how bad of a corner I was. Coaches were getting phone calls about how poor I performed. I was getting calls from my previous coaches asking what happened. So it was just a really rough time. Um, But I took a step back and regained myself and came to practice that next week, completely focused. And I was still nervous about not playing well. And I, I heard, I kept hearing different things about my negative performance, but the next week um, I had a really good game. And one of the reasons that, one of the things that helped me through that was a book that uh, Coach Ryan Lindley recommended to me. It's called The Inner Game of Tennis. And I read that book before every game from then on. And it, it helped me a lot to see my game in a different way. That is one of the most amazing original texts mm-hmm. or pieces written about the inner game of any mm-hmm. sport, not just mm-hmm. tennis, but the author Timothy mm-hmm. Galway, right? He lays it out so clearly and so simply in a way where you can apply things pretty straightforward. Is is that the way you read it and the way you understood the principles of that book? Yeah, part? so I, I took pretty much everything that was written in that book to heart. And like you said, even though it was specifically talking about tennis, there were so many things that were relatable to any sport and how we talked about, you know, me versus myself and separating the the two inner selves and then making sure that you separate the person who is talking to you all the time in your head and just allowing your action side to take over because you know what you're supposed to be doing and you don't need that extra voice from yourself to to inhibit you so i think a lot of the things that we was talking about in those in that book was actually happening to me at the time so it gave me a lot of answers and it gave me a lot of clarity to the things that i was struggling with the most so with those answers and the clarity that those lessons gave you plus your actual follow-up and applying Mm -hmm. those what are some of the main lessons that you think you've learned from playing football I think how to handle adversity is one of the big ones because a lot of people could really fold after an experience like that and never come back. 
but learning how to take a step back after a difficult moment, um, reevaluating the things that you did wrong, seeing what kind of things you can do to do right the next time and really reflecting on those things to improve in the future. If I wasn't playing football, I probably wouldn't have the same capability of that because football really teaches you how to work under pressure. You can, there's this pressure that you get from high school. There's pressure that you get from Pop Warner. But when you're playing on national television and in front of thousands of fans, there's a different type of pressure. And the camera is on you and the tape does not lie. So having that pressure on me has really allowed me to be able to handle pressure in now the workplace and in other aspects of my life. Yeah, that pressure is on. You can't escape no, it, right? Can't. But you have to try to draw it out. Um, when the pressure is on, it's it's a lot about not giving in to the pressure for one, and two, just focusing on the things that you have to do. When I'm on the field, I can't. Sometimes I can't even hear the crowd. I'm not thinking about what camera angle is on me. I'm thinking about my job in the moment, and. I think that's a really translatable moment to people who are feeling pressure from outside sources, whether that is in sport or whether that's in life, where, yes, there's going to be outside pressure, but if you just focus on the task at hand and get your ducks in a row, then the pressure, one, is going to feel lifted, and two, the outcome is going to be a lot better. And with that pressure, especially being a student athlete, which we haven't really discussed yeah. too well, too much but you excelled in both of those arenas in the classroom and on the field. So I wonder how that pressure or how those lessons learned applied to your academics and now even what you're doing with those academics after. Yeah. So I think again, football really taught me to be disciplined as well. So you have to get to practice on time or there is a consequence for maybe not just you, but for your team as well. And you know, playing corner, there's you have to have patience. You have to have good technique. You have to um, pretty much do everything perfectly every play, or at least work really hard every single play, or you can get beat, and it's only on you. And I think in the classroom, I didn't feel that as much, only because school came a little bit easier for me. So I, I can't say that. You know, football gave me all of the answers, and I don't want to have other people think that football gave me all the answers because I was pretty good naturally in school. But it gave me a, a purpose to feel like, you know what, I want to compete not just on the field, but I want to compete with myself in the classroom. So the first time I ever got a 4.0 wasn't until maybe my sophomore year of college. And in high school, I was getting like 3.7, 3.8, and I was always like, I want the 4.0. And then after that, and I got 4.0s here and there. And then in my master's program, I got a 4.0 cumulative. So, you know, I think that process of competing with myself and saying, you know, I want to improve. That started from a young age. It started in seventh grade. Remember I told you about that little transitionary period? It started back then. And I think it only built and accumulated until I got to my master's and it, it showed. Yeah. And so many young you know, mm -hmm. kids, they're, they either are good in school mm -hmm. or aren't good in school. They get it. They don't mm -hmm. get it. Things come easier to some, yeah. harder for others. And mm 
the amount of work you need to put in sometimes seems so daunting, especially when you're seeing those uh, other fellow classmates getting it so yeah, easily. Yeah, for sure. And one, one of those processes, because I was one of those classmates who was getting it a little easier, um, but I also worked really closely with some of my teammates who weren't getting it as easy and trying to find better plans in order to do things more effectively. Because, yes, a part of my success in school is because of just um, like just being natural at doing the process of school as it is. And a part of it is because um, I have better time management than other people might have. Um, I learned how to study from my high school. I really work to see results and I make sure that things are perfect before I submit them. And I might spend more time doing the research, whether on a Saturday night, I'm still doing my homework versus going out or like little things like that, that isn't always talked about. I think I, I was trying to always implement and talk to my friends and my peers about that as it's not just about your natural ability. It's about if you don't have that natural ability, you're going to have to make some sacrifices here and there and figure out what works for you in order for you to be successful. That's a really, really good takeaway and a really good lesson for a lot of other kids, mm -hmm. a lot of student athletes making their way mm -hmm. up. So how have you used the lessons you learned from being a student, mm -hmm. from your academic successes and challenges, all the way down to that sixth, seventh grade mm -hmm. year, all the way till through your master's program to now influencing mm -hmm. others in your transition out of sport? So I, I use it in a lot of different ways because right now I'm a PE teacher and athletic director. So I'm still very into sports and I also coach high school football. So okay, I'm teaching pretty much kids from the ages of four years old all the way to the age of 18. So I, I'm able to really influence that entire age range. And I think, I definitely push all of my students to realize that it's it's not going to come easy. And the way that you approach a lot of the things in life is going to be how your outcome is going to be. A lot of my kids, like, they get upset because, you know what, I don't want to do my homework or I don't like school. And it's like, okay, you look, you can not like school all you want, but you're still going to come every day and you still have to do the work, right? So would you rather struggle through the work because you'd rather mess around when it's not time to mess around or focus when it's time to focus so that you have all of the opportunity to do the things that you want to do on top of that? And that was something that I learned from a young age of if I get all my homework knocked out on Wednesday, Thursday, then my Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I don't have anything else to worry about and I don't have to procrastinate on this assignment. I can just do what I want to do. So really getting that message to a lot of my students is, is important to me so that they can learn, like I learned from the ages of six or, well, I was 10, 11, but getting them when they're four or five, six, um, I can really start to really implement these teachings and principles to them so that when they do get to high school and they do get to college, they don't feel like they missed out or they weren't taught these things because I know a lot of people who in college told me they never learned how to study. 
They never learned how to manage their time properly. And I think that's one of the biggest problems is sometimes, yeah, it's because they weren't paying attention. Other times it's because teachers or people in charge in that whatever sphere you're in, they don't focus on those things. So I wanted to make sure in, in the work that I'm doing, I'm focusing on trying to develop these kids from a really young age so that when they do get to college, that can't be their excuse. That's great. And it sounds like you're really paying it forward mm-hmm. in terms of what you learned and the influence that you had in your own life and others had mm-hmm. in your life. You're Now you're making that influence on other people's lives, which is for huge. Sure. So thank you so much, Ron, for being on this show. Of course. I hope that everybody who hears your story, your your approach to how you compete and your work ethic, they, they learn a lot through just your own ability to learn about yourself and the different levels of self-awareness that you developed mm-hmm. through your career and continue to develop. For sure. I, I hope that I can because that's that's one of my driving principles. Like we had talked about previously, like I wanted to be a sports psychologist at first and now I I still am able to do certain things like that, but you know, I got my degree in counseling. I'm getting a credential right now in school counseling because I think through sport, I learned a lot of life lessons as well that I can get to these kids from young age and teach them early so that, you know, I can pay it forward, like you were saying. So hopefully it can change some lives and hopefully my story can influence people to start now in, in their improvement to trying to get to their goals and reach their goals and be better people entirely. So I really thank you for this opportunity as well. Yeah. If people want to connect with you through social media or any kind of links that you have, where would you direct them? So I would say, look up my LinkedIn. Um, it's just Ron A. Smith. Outside of that, um, I'm not on social media as much as I used to be because that's a whole nother conversation about time and time <laughs> management. But you know, I, I try to stay off of social media as much as I can so that I can focus on other things like learning different languages and researching life stuff, and random information and tidbits. But I think LinkedIn would be the best place to find me. And if they have any questions, they can shoot me a message or whatever. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll be sure to share your LinkedIn through the show notes. And also that book that you mentioned, The Inner Game mm-hmm. of Tennis by Timothy Galloway. I think that'd be a great resource for a lot of others. 100%. So, yeah, so thanks again. Thank you so much. Hello, and thanks for listening to this great interview of Ron A. Smith. This is Ami Strutenbelanoff and Brian Alexander, your mental coaches for your mental coach debrief. So Ami, what'd you think of the interview? You know, um, just in hearing Ron, I think it, it's kind of very well established that he has a, a strong foundation of principles that kind of guided his uh, somewhat curvy, meandering path at first, and then uh, ultimately landed him in, in, him in a, uh, a very successful uh, place um, off the field and, and on the field. Um, so he, he just seemed very well put together with his thoughts and his surrounding environment. Yes, I agree. I think it's great for young athletes to hear that it's okay to try out a lot of different sports all the way up to high school and not feel the pressure to really specialize until you get to that point in your life when your body is starting to really come into its own in terms of development 
and you're understanding what it means to compete and and then maybe picking a couple sports to play in high school if that works for you and I think for him track and field was kind of an off-season sport to support his football um, experience however he ended up being a pretty good track and field athlete as well but I think it's a really good message for youth to hear that I can try a lot of different sports become a really good athlete before I landed one to specialize. Yeah, and, and the biggest thing is he was telling a story, I think, that stood out is um, the uh, initiation of his, his football career, which started from a track perspective. And then um, uh, he, he, he committed to his principles and saying, I'm, I'm committed to football, even though his coach was like, um, you know, suggesting that track might be the way for him to go. But at, a, at an early age, it sounded like he, he had a lot of conviction in his principles and stuck by them, and they, and they um, landed him in a good place. Uh, and he also knew the culture and environment he wanted to be around, and he had different opportunities, but he waited, and ultimately he, he ended up at San Diego State University, which, you know, looked like it and ended up being the best kind of environment that met his principles. So. It was just, it was kind of very telling that he was trusting in himself and and his principles, which was a huge kind of guiding pathway for, I guess, his career, ultimately. Trusting in yourself is so important, yet so difficult at times when you're really challenged. In alignment with principles, he also had these values. And that story he shared about catching the 10 baseballs when he was six years old and deciding to actually persevere to catch 13 was pretty important, it sounds like. And it sounds like you learned some key values such as goal setting and hard work and motivation and persistence, as well as having a really strong support system with the circle of friends that he happened to be surrounded with growing up and the family, the families that he found through his club teams. And, and that actually seemed to shape his um, his decision making as he went through his life and even that that key sixth grade to seventh grade transition that pivotal moment you know where all a lot of kids actually have those tough years and just pushing through that persistence I think really helped him keep going and find a new direction even if he was kind of struggling or failing in school and, and deciding hey look this is the way I'm gonna go uh, for sure. And, and, and to that point, like his identification of his surroundings at an early age, you know, growing up in Oakland, looking at the diversity and struggles, what people were getting into and, and he stuck, you know, he had a good foundation. It sounded like from his father to kind of keep him pointed in the right direction. But th- like you said, that, that was a pitiful point being in a specific environment that you could go one way or the other. Um, so he, he had it from an early age a good understanding of his environment and in the reflection of you know some of your questions when you're asking him he was able to easily pinpoint all the kind of identifiers of or timeline points in his life that were either uh kind of good or bad or biggest moments or, or most challenging moments and he, you know obviously he spent a lot of time in reflection to be able to clearly you know see the moments that helped shape who he was as an athlete, but also as a student. And I thought that was very telling of, of his hard work and introspection into kind of looking at who he was and how he sits in his environment. And I thought that was um, just, just an amazing piece to, you know, to speak to how he 
is successful or was successful in football. And now it looks like he's on a projection with his, you know, his master's degree to kind of go back and give to kids and help guide those kids through teaching principles that he's learned through his life. Yeah. And I wonder, Ami, it sounds like he has a lot of self-awareness now looking back. How much self-awareness do you think he had growing up and actually going through these key years and these key moments? Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's the great question. Right. And I think that's like, you know, going back to that sixth grade, seventh grade, you know, um, timeline. I mean, I think that was when the seeds uh, started to get planted, you know, when when he told that story, that was when maybe a defining moment even where it's like, okay, I'm deciding to to commit to, to work hard and finish what I started, right? Like, you know, the 10 baseballs or, or whatever it was. Um, I think that stuff gets shaped early on. Maybe he's shown us that like in early on, th- these, these things get, you know, um, shaped for us by our environment or, or someone we know that taught us that. Um, that's a really, really important question. Yeah, I think so. And going back to the environment that shaped him when he got to the university level and actually making it through that difficult recruiting process and landing at San Diego State University, when he went from third string to first string in a matter of two weeks yeah. to being a starter yeah. on a championship level team, deciding to lean on people in a support system to help him make that transition and to deal with potential nerves or uncertainty, that sounds like a really, really important area to focus on for other athletes who may rise or even fall from a certain level in their sport. And and it was interesting because he just needed one thing from his environment to kind of let him know I belong and I'm here. And it was that story of the great moment of the pick six that he made, his very first pick six. And that solidified like I belong here. I'm I'm the top, top back here. And this is my spot. But what did you think about his most you know, crushing moment and, and how he, um, used that to, uh, kind of further his career in a sense. I thought that was, that could be so relatable for a lot of other people out there. Um, even maybe not to the impact that he was experiencing with hate mail and social media messages and going through a slump. I mean, that must be so hard. It could be so such a dark place. But I love how he turned to that resource of the inner game of tennis, that, that book he mentioned. I think that's so important to, and it actually speaks to his, his, his willingness to put in the work and his willingness to persist and keep going um, through his principles. I thought that was a fantastic message for a lot of people to hear. It, it, huge. And in ending, I think uh, I look back at my athletic career and I look at, at what, you know, listen to a story and it's like, wow. You know, through tough times, good times, hard times, whatever it may be, he did a lot of work, you know, as a, at a young age to figure out how it works best for him. And and I, I think that's pretty special because we don't see that a ton, especially at a younger age. Um, and we talk about maturity and sports and, and such. And he just seemed to have that from a from a, from the beginning. Yeah, he did, he had it from the beginning, but I think he also developed it through a lot of really strong influences in his life. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, thank, thanks a lot for jumping on here for our mental coach debrief on me. And I hope to all the listeners, you guys gain a lot of insights from this interview. I know it can be very relatable for a lot of student athletes out there with the balance of school and sport and also a lot of transitions um, from one level to the next and even out of sport. So thanks again for everybody. And we hope you enjoy this episode. All right. Thank you. have a desire to be great in what you do and a keen interest in the mental aspects of performance, then you're in the right place. Well You Mental Training seeks to push the edge of the mental game through evidence-based practices and stories from athletes similar to the one you're listening to today. Your collaboration matters as part of this process, so please head over to iTunes and leave us a review with your honest feedback on the podcast. We'd love to hear what you have to say. If you are as excited about the mental training stories you're hearing as we are, please share this podcast with your friends, family, and teammates too. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WellUApp. That's W-E-L-L-U-A-P-P. And learn more about the work our mental coaches are doing through LinkedIn and Facebook. 